Hello, and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. But in this case, it's a special edition. Welcome to the bonus episode, the second bonus episode of Alien Minute. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been on the air, so to speak. But uh, we're back. We told you we'd come back with bonus episode. And we, we were men of our word. So here we are. Um, today, we also uh, we have a guest, like we usually would on the show. We have Joe Dater. Um, many of you will know him as a regular guest on the Star Wars Minute podcast, but he's also the host of the criminally underrated podcast, Songs You're <laughs> Sick Of. Uh, Joe, how are you doing today? I'm good. If I'm if I if I want if my goal is to do anything, it's it's uh, that it can be described as criminally. Uh, okay. That's it's very very nice to uh, to uh, be here. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, and uh, I really enjoy your show. I've listened to uh, listened to the whole uh, movie Alien, and now I know you're you're going to transition into Aliens. And I wonder, are you going to keep going with the, all of the films in the franchise? Yeah, well, this question's come up a couple of times, and our answer is always, uh, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Circumstances might what might defines an alien film, if you see where I'm going with that. Yes, yeah, well. If it includes a predator, is it still an alien film? I was going to say, if there's a versus in the title, it is not an <laughs> alien movie at all. Okay. As a matter of fact, okay. I, I might also say that it does have to have the word alien in the title, probably. But yeah, yeah. we might be talking about another uh, movie altogether. We might talk about that a little bit today. Well, my stepmother is an alien is not going to be part of this then. Oh, stepmother right. is an alien minute. That could have been our April Fool's Day episode, I guess. Oh, but, that's right. Yeah, that yeah. would have been good. Yeah. So you won't be doing Alien meets Abbott and Costello. No, no Alienation no. minute. We've talked about that a little bit, but Alienation, the TV show, not the movie. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, we're going to start by talking yeah. about some... I guess we'll call them omissions or topics of discussion that did not make their way into the alien minute, right. regular minute. Um, John, what do you start with? After we had aired the last episode, we knew we were going to do this. And I sent out a uh, request on our Facebook listeners page for any omissions, anything that people thought uh, we didn't discuss that we could bring up on this bonus episode. And the only one that came up and did come up repeatedly was that we never discussed the influence of the Mario Bava film, Planet of the Vampires. Um, so we're going to bring it up right now. Mitch, what do you got to say well, about How this? many of those came in before uh, Nicholas Vending Refn got out and did this whole song and dance about how the alien people blatantly ripped off Planet of the Vampires? Because it seems like a lot of people, as, as I can understand, t took their cue from him. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just wonder, because I, I suppose there have been a few glances back at Planet of the Vampires. For, for my money, the only thing that I can see as a similarity is, yes, there is a derelict ship. And yes, there is a giant skeleton of a inhabitant of that ship outside of the ship. And then there's one in a central chamber. So I guess maybe if we're talking about that idea of the derelict ship being explored by the crew. Okay, I'll buy that. But the rest of the movie is about the crew being possessed by these dead spirits on the planet. And, and if I was going to look for something to have been ripped off, I would have said It the Terror from Beyond Space, which is about finding a alien creature and bringing it back on board the ship unwittingly and waiting as it kills off one member of the crew after another. That sounds a lot more like Alien to me. Yeah, I'm, su I'm surprised by that because I've never seen I've, ne I've never seen a, a Planet of the Vampires. I assumed it was about a topsy-turvy world where vampires evolved from men. <laughs> and uh, at the end, Charlton Heston finds a statue of Dracula and screams, you maniacs, you blew it all up. Is that not the movie? No, okay, but, but we've got a movie. We, we should talk what after the better, show right? about the development deal. Yeah, I uh, just, I don't know, that seems about right for me. And it also opens up uh, all of the different things you could substitute into that planet of the zebras, planet of the, whatever, you put anything in there, and it's pretty much the same plot. <laughs> I, you know, Mitch, I, we did get some of these emails a few months ago, whether they predated when Nicholas Winding reference, you know, accusation, if you will. Uh, I don't know. I think that maybe a couple of them did. 
so I decided, you know, we got a couple of emails and some Facebook discussion and I decided to rent this movie because I'd never seen it before. So I rented it and watched it for about 30 minutes before I fell asleep. Um, it was unbelievably boring to I me. fell asleep too. Yeah. This is, and I'm a big Mario Bava fan and this baby put me to sleep. So I don't know. It's not, it was not compelling to me at all. Even trying to search for the similarities with Alien, I just, uh, it, it wasn't enough to keep me uh, conscious. But, you know, we, we, you and I talked about it a little bit beforehand and, and you kind of glanced over, we threw it on. Uh, on your Blu-ray before we uh, started the show, and you kind of showed me some of the things that people talked about because I never did finish it. I just, there's no way I was going back to that movie. <laughs> um, and you know, okay, so there's a giant skeleton. There is a derelict ship. There is a central chamber, as you mentioned. There's the little um, disc object you showed that uh, uh, you know, much when like touched. much like the eggs um, react when touched. So I could see. Um, there being influence here. Uh, certainly, it's not a rip-off. Alien the planet is really smoky, and it has weird uh, stone formations, so I guess there's some of that, too. That's true. Yeah, and, you know, to me, though, that stuff is natural. That's a, the organic uh, direction you're going to go as a production designer when given the job of, you know, designing a planet. On like the a cheap? a desolate planet on, on the cheap. It's gonna You're going to have to smoke it up and hide the fact that it's like paper mache uh rocks and and so on so that just made sense but you know looking then into some interviews um we know that dan o'bannon did see it the terrapion space so we know that's probably an influence on him um and probably read that a.e van voigt story that we talked about as well right and then he says that he never saw planet of the vampires all the way through he had seen clips of it which i'm assuming uh, it sounds like one of your, Mitch, one of your classes where those Monday night classes where you just show clips of some genre or something, maybe in film school, he was just shown, I don't know why he would be shown clips of Planet of the Vampire. Oh, he probably he saw was. it on TV yeah. and, um, you know, he was too busy doing something else. Yeah. But it's always a good thing to cop to to say, oh, I really haven't seen that movie. I've only seen parts of it. And he's a guy who's pretty steeped in science fiction and horror. And I wouldn't be surprised Memory is a faulty thing. Maybe yeah. maybe he did see it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think that I could see the it, it the Terror Beyond Space, Planet of the Vampires, and then his ideas that he sort of pulled from Dark Star that he didn't think really got uh, played out correctly in Dark Star, mashing those together, him and Ron, then whatever Ronald Schutz uh, brought to the table. And then Ron, it, and then know, Ron Cobb films. coming up with the acid. And then Ron Cobb with the acid, and there you have Alien. Yeah. So... Influence, yes. Rip off. Come on. I mean, Nicholas Winding Refn's any. You know, he's he's an exploitation guy. He's even his accusations are too big. Like, don't don't listen to Lars von Trier or Nicholas <laughs> yes. Winding Refn. Just don't take anything think, they say too seriously. I think that's the cut it by ninety percent. Yes, yes. diluted. Good, yes. good advice to anyone for any in any context, really. <laughs> yes, pretty much these days. Yeah, I would say you're right. Not even cinematically, just. <laughs> In his daily life, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, did, did I, so assuming you, I mean, if you fell asleep, did you find out where Planet of the Vampires ends up? Well, like, Mitch what has happens? seen it before. Planet of Vampires, or they, do they finally get, they find a planet full of wooden stakes or something? They take off and they fly away. And they think, oh, and you think right. it's all good, but then you realize it's not all good, that they're still possessing uh, the pilots, the two guys, main people, the main guy and the main girl, I think. And they're headed to Earth with the vampire spirits intact in the you know with them so it's scary okay. so it's a scary sad ending isn't it kind of funny though isn't that a little more like uh i'm trying to think isn't that a little bit more life force than alien too and that's another dan o'bannon because life force has those vampires on the ship they find right yeah they're, life, vampire, life, they're bat-like aliens life force is based on a novel <laughs> called space vampires oh my god you said yeah van, planet of the vampires and space space vampires the first thing i thought of was life force yeah, yeah. colin wilson probably read the isn't that who wrote the book colin wilson i can't remember who wrote the book all i remember is that, that is a dan o'bannon script yeah project yeah, yeah. and uh yeah huh it also sort of uh, reminds me a little bit of um I am legend, which is sort of a, you know, a kind of a, a science fiction, uh, futuristic thing. And yet the, the creatures in it are straight up vampires with sucking blood and capes and fangs and stuff. You know? 
Yeah, my uh, directing teacher at film school, Sidney Salco, directed that movie, The Last Man on Earth, with Vincent Price. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? That's, uh, that's an interesting movie. That's, uh, you know, it's as uh, Dana Gould has pointed out many times on his podcast, or I think uh, Gilbert Gottfried mentioned it too, it's a movie where Vincent Price plays the everyman. Yeah, that's a... The that's... Re- regular Joe played by... <laughs> Right. It just doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to to scan for that reason. You're kind of you're kind of not with it from frame one for that reason. I don't know. I like to think of an an alternate universe where Vincent Price is the norm. That would be really. Uh, Where would would you go from there? Oh, you get to have Vincent Price's curry chicken every night for dinner. Mm, That'd be great. And speaking of Charlton Heston, uh, who was in what I think is the superior version of that story. Of all of the three, I think. Yeah, and he's he's quite the everyman too, playing chess with his bust of Caesar or whatever that is. <laughs> yes, right. Well, you know, we're, while we're on the subject of the omissions from the show, I think we've exhausted the, uh, we've sucked dry the Planet of the Vampires subject here. So, um, Joe, you're a listener as well. Do you got any I, beef? I, you got any beef with us? Did we miss something you thought well, we should talk about? First, first things first. There's one very obvious thing you completely failed to pick up on is that there's a shot of the uh, cryo freeze chambers on the Nostromo where if you freeze the frame, you can see quite clearly that the brand name is Freezerino. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That explains Brett's line back to the old Freezerinos. He's actually complaining. He's complaining that the company hasn't bought them new Freezerinos yet. Okay. Still mm-hmm. shipping the old Freezerinos. It's like and the of course that was, it, of... it was right. It was one brand name. There was all the Cryomaster and Mr. Sleep. There were many of those, but they all <laughs> they always referred to it as Freezerino, regardless. You sure. know, that became sort of the public domain name for those. I mean, aren't yeah. you just tired well, of that was... product placement though? I'm so tired of the product play- placement movies, man. Jeez, Freezer. I know, it's in there. Uh, with, uh, speaking of freezing the frame, you know, it, uh, the, and it, one of the things I always loved about Alien, one of the scariest things about Alien, weirdly, has nothing to do with the Alien. For me, when I was young, when I first saw the movie, was that they never name the company. They always just call it the company. Mm-hmm. And it was very ominous. It was very, very creepy and weird, the company. You know, and then you find out they're up to this stuff, and then they become, you know, so much worse. But the fact that they didn't have a name, and I remember when... Wayland Utani got introduced as the name of the company. I don't. It, that's a good I it was question. Better than it was just the company. But it's on the beer cans, and it's yeah. on. Um, yeah, it's written I, around there. I found that out. You can see that that logo, and that kind of blew my mind because I had no idea that they were thinking that far ahead, and you know, already naming the company at that point. Although it's never said on screen. You know, I liked it better when it was just the company because it's just very, very much more frightening that way. I agree. I mean, I think I think it could have because I think the novelization has the name in it. I I want to say it does. I'm not so somebody had thought it through and it could have appeared in the movie very easily. Then they named the company. It's Wayland Utani, which is also kind of kind of futuristic in a way because uh, there's not a lot of like like American Japanese conglomerates currently. No, you know, so yeah. you think of you know in a in a future where the world has gotten a lot smaller and there's more globalization and you have these gigantic enormous uh, uh, corporations in which some gigantic Japanese corporation has merged with some gigantic American corporation. You can only imagine the scope of it. It's actually kind of frightening. You know, the fact that you have a, 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 a an Anglo and a Japanese name together weirdly suggests. Uh, a little bit of ominousness to me uh, but that's just me uh, okay here's no but here's an actual I mean I was joking but here's here's an actual thing that that I did want to bring up which is and I don't know if you ever sort of got into this but one of the the greatest things about this movie that always sort of and it only occurred to me recently is that the title is an adjective it's both a noun and an adjective and that's kind of the the point of the movie, really, in a way, is that everything in this movie is alien. Yeah, it's just you're gonna be you're gonna be shown alienness as a concept, you know. And uh, it's kind of um, why I think the movie's endured. You know, it's it, it has that that deeper level to it. You know, we're all sort of afraid of the unknown and the the alien. 
You know, it ties in with what you were just saying, too, though, about the company, I think, in a way that both Alien, this title that's pregnant with ambiguity and meaning, yeah, and then referring to the company as the company, it, it seems very 70s. And then you right. move into the 80s, and you have a very specific title for the sequence, yeah, the sequel, specific. Aliens. Mm-hmm. The sequel, which now it's merely a noun. And, which, and, and which, the company which, is is that Japanese-American conglomerate in the 80s is all about the rise of the Japanese corporation. And so it, it fits yeah, for yeah. the 80s version. And the aliens are now xenomorphs. The right. crew has a mission as opposed to... One of the more interesting things about Alien to me is that they're... Uh, and, and it again plays with what you're saying about the ad, adjective nature of the title is that this is them out of this is fish out of water. They're all in uncharted territory here. Oh, yeah. yeah. In yeah. aliens, we get the idea right away that they've been on bug hunts before. You know, they've done this before and they have a very specific mission and they're going in to infiltrate. Now, it turns out to be a shit show uh, because it was more than they bargained for. But that's great. That's fine. That's action movie stuff more than the horror movie that Alien yeah. was. But you're right. Yeah. It kind of throws that tone away. And everything, 80s, is the, everything's clear-cut, uh, described in, in no uncertain terms. And um, I, I don't know. I th- it, it is different. I don't think it's worse, per se. I mean, I think I prefer one over the other. But Aliens works as the movie. You know, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, I guess, talking about Aliens too much. But uh, it works for what it is, and it is a product of its time. Yeah, I think I think I think that's true. And I think it's sort of um, something that's always that's always been interesting to me. And it also uh, brings up the debt that that uh, Ridley and, and, and everyone owes to Giger, because the whole, you know, the idea of something being so alien that it's that it's frightening uh, doesn't really work without the imagination of Giger. I think there's no movie without Giger. There's no franchise without Giger. You know, just he his his terrifying nightmares that he managed to put onto canvas are the reason this movie exists, really. Yeah, I think that's kind of the conclusion we ended up coming to. I think when John, or when it was Bruce bringing it was on the show, we talked about how that that alien head, that the concept, the visual, the iconic vision of that is probably the stamp that that movie placed on, you know, cinematic history. That's what makes it the cult classic that it is, is that image itself. Take that image out and it might be a, just not a forgettable, but a you know pretty good science fiction movie, science fiction horror movie. But that something yeah. about that alien really plays put the stamp on it. You've got to cram it into yeah. the last thirty seconds of Prometheus too, just to make sure it's there. Yeah. Well, we can talk. You know, I actually have stuff to say about Prometheus mm. um, that I that I want to bring up. But I'll, I'll tell you a story. When uh, yeah, it reminds me of when you see the other artists uh, attempt to conceptualize the alien, and they're so pedestrian. Uh, by comparison, you know, it's like, oh, it's a monster, but it has eight legs and three eyes. And oh, OK, well, we've we've seen everything like that before. You know, uh, you know, there was just something going on in Giger's mind that was alien, truly alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, when, I, I'll tell you a story. When I was when I was young, uh, I, I didn't see the movie in a theater. This is weird. I'm 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 very I'm very much the age that I should have seen it in a theater. I was 12 years old at the time, but I don't know what happened there. I remember my mother going to see it. I remember her coming back and gleefully describing to me all the viscera and grew. And my mother liked horror movies. Uh, and I think that's probably why I didn't see it, because I had already been burned by going to certain movies with my mom and had nightmares. So I think I, I, did, I was too scared to see it, probably. Um, but I was still sort of weirdly repelled and fascinated by it. So at the same time, I, 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 I'm sure I chose not to go see it with her. But... Uh, I also was consuming every picture I could find in Starlog and famous monsters and like this. I had this fast, just attraction, fascination to it. So I remember a friend of mine who had seen it was describing it. And we were we were all we were cartoonists together. So we were we were always drawing pictures for each other. And my friend drew a picture of the alien uh, for me. And. In retrospect, when I finally did see the film, I realized that he hadn't seen the film at all because what what he drew, <laughs> what he drew was uh, is sort of a like a, a sort of a, a man shaped blob with eight arms and uh, a a square a normal head, but the sort of a square mouth that came out. He had basically heard descriptions 
of the alien and the facehugger and put it all together into a drawing. What a liar. Oh, my gosh. Jeez, yeah, busted. Man. Unbelievable. Ugh. Did you forget? This guy, this guy was a serial liar. <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, you know, he went on to, uh, to great success. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's it's a, it's sort of a, a funny thing, but I yeah, I I don't know. It's it's weird now when I look back on how I was so fascinated with this film but hadn't seen it. Why didn't I see it? What was wrong with me? When did you finally see it? How did I you catch up to it? it? Well, the weird thing was at the time I and I had another friend who had seen it in a theater and he um had snuck in a tape recorder and made an audio recording of the entire soundtrack. And then he he also bought the uh, the score, was playing the music. And also bought the photo novel. Uh-huh. You guys know about photo novel. Yeah, right? yeah, I have that photo novel. Yeah. Yes. Why? This was unprecedented. They literally reproduced every single shot in the film as a freeze frame, in and made it into what is virtually a storyboard of the entire movie, with the entire script, uh, and sold that in a store. And it even includes things that were meant to be sort of subliminal shots, you know, like the you know heads being burst open and things like that. And there's a freeze frame of it right there. Yeah. Uh, and this was obviously before VCRs. Uh, so uh, that's why they did it, because how else are you going to revisit these movies? There's no way right. to have easy access to them. Yeah, right. Exactly. This was, you know, before uh, VCRs, even including uh, the uh, uh, Ripley in her underwear, which was a big deal for for 12 year olds. Um, nice, clear photos of everything in the movie was there. And so I remember seeing that. And so it was as if I had seen the movie. I'd gotten every bit of information about what was in the movie without seeing it and probably didn't even actually sit through the whole thing until a couple of years later seeing it on, t- on, on HBO or something like that, um, weirdly. So I don't know. But I've, 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 I was, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm uh, shocked that I didn't actually go see it in the theater. <laughs> but we're that last generation, maybe the next gener- people born in 68 and before – uh, who who learned mostly about movies through books. You know, we, we, we didn't have that kind of access. And so we read about movies and we poured over stills of films that fascinated us. And we thought, gosh, I hope I can see that movie someday, you know. There was Starlog. There was Famous Monsters at the time, which Famous Monsters had, um, in order to survive, had transitioned into mostly writing about Star Wars at that point. Like every other issue was about Star Wars. Yeah, uh, you know, there wasn't much going on in the field of of uh, monsters at that time, so they, you know, they really seized on Alien, and they printed some pictures of the of the monster that you couldn't see anywhere else. Well, yeah, I'm looking at one right now on the cover of Warren presents the official authorized magazine of the movie Alien. Col- December of 1979, and it boasts sensational new pictures. Scenes cut from the film, the chestburster in color, special effects photos, and the first report on Alien 2. How about that? Alien 2. Did they ever make that? Exactly. Did they ever make that? Well, I'm going to read these. These are just, these are, this is the very end of the magazine, and they were saying these are the scenarios that are being considered uh, presently for Alien 2, the sequel. So, the first one. The alien, merely stunned by its close encounter with the shuttle engines, manages to survive outside the craft and reaches civilization along with Ripley. That's the first one. Merely stunned is a great uh, phrase. (laughs) Just stunned. (laughs) Um, A second expedition to the planetoid is stranded there and weathering a storm within the derelict and their own ship, its members deal with a group of aliens climaxed by an appearance of the creature to whose race belongs the space jockey. So I guess it ends with the space jockey showing up. A prequel rather than a sequel telling the tale of the space jockey and ending where alien begins with the arrival of the Nostromo crew. And then finally the fourth one, the planetoid of the alien explodes, sending alien eggs to earth where shades of invasion of the body snatchers, a whole flock of the monsters runs rampant. So that was from 1979, and those were apparently the scenarios that were being considered courtesy of Famous Monsters. Wait, it just, like, just scatters the eggs all, all over space? <laughs> yeah, they just float then through space. Earth? Well, apparently directly in the trajectory right. to Earth, because uh, it sounds like a few of them land here. That seems mathematically impossible, but yeah. The egg who I, fell to Earth. Yeah. One egg, that could be interesting. Just I mean, like but that, that would basically be Predator 2, right? By the way, that whole thing about the, the, the space jockey coming back... 
it reminds me again, you know, again, the, the whole idea of alien as a concept, as an adjective, sort of my big problem I had with Prometheus. And I'll say this, Prometheus, not a perfect film. Um, I, there's parts of it wasn't crazy about uh, was that it was going to be about the space jockey. And I was so excited that they were going to do a movie about the space jockey. And then the explanation for the space jockey was so not what I wanted the, the space jockey to be. And I, I mean, first of all, was, he was supposed to have an elephant head, right? That's to be his actual head. Right. Damn it. Yeah. For so many reasons. But what I really, when I heard they were, that Ridley Scott was going to do a, a space jockey movie in the very early stages of that, what I wanted was to fulfill that promise of, of alien as a concept. I wanted a movie that had no humans in it. And I wanted a movie that had no uh, traditional uh, connections to any movie I've ever seen before. I wanted a movie that took me into the world of those creatures and showed me their their lives in their own language, no subtitles. And uh, I wanted a movie that they could have possibly made and shown in space jockey world, wherever it is they live. You know, that's what I really wanted. And I'm still holding out hope that someday a movie like that will exist. I wanted a movie that almost nobody would have gone to see, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to quote zero. Sunset Boulevard, they'll love it in Pomona. <laughs> yeah, I know. It would have done really, really badly. But I, man, I wanted that. I wanted something that was alien, truly alien in that space jockey movie. So uh, that that let me down so much. And I love the space jockey dearly. I'm, I have a, a, sculpture, a sculpture of him sitting on one of my shelves. It's maybe my favorite thing in in the entire franchise is that that sad sad elephant face conversely i don't want to know anything more about it I, I i love the mystery of the space jockey i love him as this thing that can be anything to anybody and can mean anything yeah yeah and, and his what, what the anything was to me was never realized so i guess he can still be that yeah yeah i mean that's yeah. the that's the irony of, of prometheus and in, in almost every single aspect it does nothing but make the entire thing smaller the story smaller, the themes smaller, right. the mystery smaller. Um, but it's, I realized the last time I saw it that it's just a TV movie. You know, it's just, it's, it's built like a TV movie. It's the fucking dialogue never stops. It's mm -hmm. the, these, the, you know, JJ Abrams and Lyndall Hoff and those guys are in many ways the absolute worst thing that has happened to cinema because they never shut up. <laughs> they never tell their stories and pictures. Well, this is, this is how I like to think of Prometheus and I guess the Star Wars prequels. Uh, can fall into this category as well as that perhaps you're in a bar having a having a beer and you talk about alien and you're talking about alien with your friends and then some drunk asshole comes up and says well you know what happened before all this and spews all this shit and then walks away and you go yeah that was just bullshit <laughs> no reason to even think about that anymore because to me i just forget about them i don't really want i in Star Wars, they're making it impossible to completely forget about the prequels. Fine, I can live with that. But as far as Prometheus goes, nothing happened before Alien. I, I, I we'll yeah. see how this Alien Covenant thing goes. It's going to have to be a goddamn masterpiece for me not to also shove it aside. I'll see yeah, I, it, of course, but I, I just would rather think of it as you know. I guess how they attribute the Star Wars stories that the EU stories that. I read so much in the nineties is it's just legends. It's just a legend. It's just, it doesn't really connect to the story. I just like, I live in the world that alien set up and that's it. Yeah. Granted, there are things in Prometheus. I like there's ideas and concepts in there that I think are pretty cool, but I would like them a lot more if they were unconnected to the alien world. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It felt, I mean, we haven't gotten into Prometheus too much, but I don't know a lot about its development. Was Prometheus one of those scripts, Mitch? Do you know anything about the, where the script came from originally? Was it one of those scripts that they morphed into a prequel idea? Kind of like how every Die Hard movie is, was never a Die Hard movie in the first place. It was just another script that they morphed into the franchise. I don't think so. I think no? this was a conscious effort to try and build the mythology behind Alien. And they had a lot of different people take shots at it. Which does seem to be the whole M.O. of most of the alien movies is they they all seem to have multiple hands in the mm -hmm. construction and sometimes that works well and other times that doesn't work well except for aliens i mean in aliens some ways is... aliens is the most purely one one person vision yeah so i know i know you want to uh, transition into talking about the uh teaser trailer and the trailer for aliens 
from 1986. Uh, but I don't know if you ever brought up or mentioned or talked about the trailer for Alien from 1979, because there was one. Um, and I, I went and looked it up, and it's pretty interesting uh, because it's very old school as a trailer. Uh, it's got a lot of off. It's it's one of those old trailers that was where stuff was filmed just for the trailer, which I don't see, think they they do that anymore. They haven't done that in a long time. But I used to love those. There's not many of those out there, and it's very and the stuff that they filmed for it is off model. It's stuff that's not really in the movie. Uh, Close Encounters had one of those too, uh, actually. It was like they based it on the poster, but it there it um, you can look it up on YouTube. It's, it's like first you see uh, space, and then there's like a close up of the camera moving over what's supposed to be an alien landscape, I guess, but it looks more like an extreme close up of like a bran muffin. Right. Okay. Yes. So, I, I know this uh, one. About, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, matzo like crusty baked goods of some kind, and then you see an egg. It's not an alien egg. Like in the movie, it's just an egg. Yeah. This is like a chicken egg. Mm-hmm. With, like, with little bumps on it, right? It has a little texture on it. They painted it gray. So right away, this could be a movie about breakfast. Uh, <laughs> and then it cracks open and light comes out. And then it perfectly mirrors the poster, uh, you know, which was off model as well. And again, I, it's sort of the same concept of the Close Encounters trailer where they used that that look down a long road that was the po- Close Encounters poster that was the only information on there, really. Um, and they filmed that as you're going down that road. So I maybe may have been the same person designing those trailers and saying, well, let's just use the poster. Uh, I don't know. But then, yeah, I, but I love that. I love that there's things that they filmed which are off-model. You could you, know, you could get away with off-model a lot more back then. Uh, and and it's kind of wonderful. Like, it, you know, toys for, you know, like Star Wars figures were completely off model and wonderful in a way um then there's actually it's not but it's not then after the egg there's a montage of scenes from the movie and they're all out of context you don't see the alien but there's some slightly spoilery things Mm -hmm. um you know you see um ash spitting milk all over the place and you see some things like that um you definitely see the face hugger jumping out of the, jumping out of its egg. Yeah. Um, but back, you know, they could do that back then. You, you didn't. Nobody. These things weren't online. You didn't get to freeze a frame. Remember the first time I finagled my parents into buying a VCR for the house because they didn't want to. They just said, "What's well, a waste of money? Why buy that?" So I finally convinced them. And remember the first time I froze a frame. You remember the first time you froze a frame? <laughs> what an amazing moment in in life that was for all of us wasn't it and then the next the very next moment was my was my mother coming in and telling me that i was going to break it don't do that <laughs> oh, i thought you were go- I, mean, I thought you were going somewhere else all together with that story <laughs> i thought your mother was going to come in and tell you you were going to go blind if you kept doing that no no she wouldn't she wouldn't tell me that she always she always encouraged masturbation <laughs> she liked horror movies and she supported masturbation wow. thanks mom i love you thanks. I, I thank her for those things. Um, but you could you could you could like put a few frames of a big reveal into something knowing that people were going to just it was just going to subliminally pass by people. They weren't going to, you know, uh, yeah. do that. It was pretty cool. But the interesting thing that that I noticed when I oh, and, and it ends with the tagline in space. No one can hear you scream. Uh, but here's an interesting thing I noticed. There's on the in the alien trailer. The soundtrack includes something else that's not in the movie, which is this this kind of hooting sound effect. There's this like woo, woo, mm-hmm. woo, hooting sound effect. And the weird thing about that is it carries over into the Aliens and Prometheus trailers as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I actually I've taken the liberty of isolating that sound effect from the Alien trailer. So. Here it is. That's 1979. Mm-hmm. And I have those for the uh, Aliens and Prometheus trailers as well. Compare it, compare it to 86. There's your hoot right there. Mm-hmm. And what was Prometheus? 2014, 2013, 2012? 12? I don't know. But here it is again. 
They kept the hoot. Do you they think did. that that is bl- is playing in the background when um, Ripley's running through the ship and all the all the? It's not the same sound. All the house. No, I don't think I've never heard that in the movie. No, yeah. it's no. funny. You get the with the Prometheus uh, one. You get that um, Hans Zimmer esque like big like orchestral hit like in there too. It's like a little added yeah. punch to it. I remember that trailer uh, very distinctly. The Prometheus trailer being like kind of like overwhelming the trailer and then thinking god Hans Zimmer and his Dark Knight scores have really infiltrated everything Inception Inception, Inception and booms. all of that just the big booming which all come from hits. that that classical yeah. piece The Seven Gates of Jerusalem that's the first place I ever heard those big like the those boom, right yeah. yeah yeah so yeah the the bra yeah the Prometheus one sort of includes the bra plus the hoot the mm-hmm. bra hoot Rahu. And then the Aliens one seemed like it was pitched down just a little bit. It sounds like the exact same effect from the Alien one, but pitched down just a little, right? Yes. And then, yeah, it's that's interesting. But there was a trailer for Alien that just had the egg splitting mm-hmm. and no montage. You just, it just, the yeah. camera dipped down to the egg, the egg split, the light blasted through it, and then it said, in space, no one can hear you scream. And there was, so I remember that was number one. And then I because I do remember seeing that in the theater. And I remember then seeing the, the next one the, that had just the shot, the really fast cuts, yeah. and thought that was really great. But oddly enough, I have no recollection of either one of the Aliens trailers really? in the theater, which is, I mean, I must have seen them, but I don't have any memory of them. Joe, do you remember them at all? No, I, I don't, actually. I don't remember really uh, anticipating uh, the movie the movie at all i i do remember i did definitely uh, saw it when it came out i remember my friend chris coming over and saying get in the car we're going to see a movie right now and you have to see it immediately and that was aliens and uh, of course it was fantastic uh you know so that I, you know, I definitely saw the movie i don't remember even knowing it was coming yeah it would have been hard for me to see a trailer i mean i i went to the movies every once in a while back then but i was 10 i guess when this trailer probably would have come out and I don't wouldn't have seen a movie that had this trailer attached to it. I don't think. Yeah, um, I have very very little memory of trailers be, before, a, like you know, the '90s uh, as being a thing. I don't think they were a thing. And forgive me if I'm wrong. Didn't they often play after the movie instead of before? I don't. Remember. I don't remember that. I remember trailers being before the movie. Maybe at a drive-in. A drive-in sometimes they would come on in between the two films. They weren't called trailers. They were called coming attractions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I, I have very little memory of paying much attention to them. I feel like we discussed this, maybe even Mitch, but the first real trailer of the trailer era that we're in was Batman, right? That was the first one I remember. Right. People bootlegged it, passed it around. People went to see Clint Eastwood's Pink Cadillac just to see Batman <laughs> trailer before it. I remember all that. I don't remember there being a trailer that had hype uh, before that. One guy in the audience who's there to see Pink Cadillac. Yeah, he's <laughs> shut up. Shut up, kids! What you... Hans it's Mole just a Man. comic book. Yeah, I remember on that Close Encounters preview or trailer, or I don't know teaser. I don't know what it was. Probably a teaser because I remember them talking about J. Allen Hynek, who was an expert on extraterrestrial okay. life or something, and and he was being quoted, or maybe they even had footage of him you know, probably smoking on his pipe and talking uh, in the preview. So there was there was one of those as well for Close Encounters. So again, yeah. it wasn't, te- wasn't anything from the film. It was just him explaining what a Close Encounter was. Right, and there were other shots of the producers as well, like from producer so-and-so, and like black and white headshots of everybody I, involved. I think I was, you're right, yes. I've been so. impressed by that at the time. I was just watching um, the documentary about Peter Bogdanovich called... Uh, one day since yesterday, I think is the name of the documentary. And they went, there was a segment of the documentary about the fact that Bogdanovich was such a superstar director that the trailers for his subsequent films after your last picture show were about Peter Bogdanovich. Like the trailers would actually be about him and he would be, there was one, uh, what's the, what's up doc yeah. uh, trailer where he introduces Ryan O'Neill. He's like, and this is my friend, Ryan O'Neill and uh, Barbara's back here. And Barbara Streisand is like in the, Behind them, like the least important person in the in the frame, it's Barbara Streisand. Yeah, this is all about Peter Bogdanovich, and 
uh, how trailers were treated back then. It's very, very interesting. Well, those producers that you were talking about were Michael and Julia Phillips, who had produced oh, yeah. The Sting and won, right? They won the, yes. the Oscar for that and, yeah. and also produced Taxi Driver. And so they were a pretty powerful producing team. And I think that what happened during that new American cinema phase is this was the one of the first times when the marketing entities actually wanted to make stars out of the filmmakers because they were young hip you know young people making movies for other young hip young people yeah well but what, what i noticed watching the trailers the teaser and the trailer for aliens is that there's no um there's no mention of the director there's no you know from james cameron the visionary who brought you the terminator right. or anything like that or there's not even like um you know he a new adventure from the world of Alien. They're like, there's nothing like, you know, sort of uh, suggesting that, you know, this is a sequel to Alien. There's very little of that. There's almost no uh, mention nowadays it would be, you know, really played up that uh, this is, you know, uh, we take you back to the universe of Alien because everything is a is a mm -hmm. universe now. Everything mm -hmm. is a, you know, shared yeah. franchise now. Um, so, but they didn't really do any of that. None of that sort of... Uh, from the producer of, or from the creators of, the people who brought you, none of that happens. And it didn't happen until uh, Alien 3, which has, I watched a teaser for that, and then then you get the full treatment uh, where they go. In, in 1979, you learned that in space no one can hear you scream. Now you find out that there's other parts of space where the screaming is less and you can hear it a little bit. It, <laughs> Was into that, and you get an actual in the also the Alien Three teaser. You get an actual, original, first edition, unironic in a world. Yeah. yeah. Also, by that time, the hooting is gone. But yeah, so and, and there's the Aliens uh, teasers don't really, uh, you know, make it explicit at all. If you were to see the Aliens trailer, you know, in 1986, and you'd never heard of Alien or were aware of it in any way. The only implication that there was that it was a sequel is in the tagline that this this time it's war. So you go this time. What was the other time? That's it, though. That's it. That's other than you know if you have knowledge of Alien, if you've seen Alien, if you remember the the teaser, if you remember the movie, and you've seen it a few times, that teaser trailer for Aliens will remind you of Alien. The 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 teaser starts out with this planet landscape, so it does harken back to the original. It shows yep. the sort of smoky like planet that looks like a bunch of bones, you know, which is very much visually in continuity with the original. But then there's very, there's very little after that. It's sort of a bunch of, uh, uh, very out of context shots of the colonial Marines. Um, and interestingly, it, it reveals Newt, the queen and the power loader all in that yeah, one. No. Piece. But all done yeah. with almost no natural sound effects. Everything right. is, is, is yeah, pretty much quiet. silent under that scary alien music and that's yeah the hoots are there but it's also definitely the music from there's no voiceover or there's no tagline at the end of the teaser and it really doesn't represent the tone of the movie at all no it looks much more like alien it feels much yeah. more like the 79 version of alien with a yeah. horror film mm -hmm. being the main thrust of it it's got the military motif like you can see that's going to happen but it looks like they're going to be in a horror film they're not going to be the driving force of the tone of the film at all um and i think that's good i think from a marketing standpoint they they did a really good job here of transitioning us from one genre to another because yeah. really we're moving into a whole different genre here so then w we see this this trailer it's got that alien tone you think oh it's gonna be another like tonal uh horror film and then with the second trailer they basically shove a grenade up your ass and go this is a fucking war movie <laughs> yeah boom I, here we go and i wonder if one in the audience watching the, the the first teaser trailer for Aliens thought that hooting sounds very familiar. I don't know. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Where have I heard that years hooting? Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must be, uh, must uh, be. An you know, what I noticed that the teaser does not do, which is a thing that nowadays is in every trailer, is that every single shot has to fade out and then fade in. Yeah, fade to black, then fade back, and it drives me up a wall every time. Especially if you're watching a trailer at home, because literally 50 percent of the of what you're watching is yourself reflected in the screen uh, when it goes to black. <laughs> so yeah. the, the literal black mirror, as uh, the TV show suggests. Uh, and so I, I can we just cut from one scene to another in a trailer? I'm just really tired of that fade out, fade in thing. 
you know, the, the whole trail, like uh, so many other things, the trailer industry has become very formulaic. They're just reusing the same shit over and I over I used again. to love that part of the experience of going to the movies, yeah. of seeing the, tra- the trailers to the movies that are coming up. And now, because they cut all the trailers the same way, they all look like they're the same movie. And yeah. I hate watching the trailers at movies now. I'm just being, you know, ruined. I, I guess I'm just not, I'm an old man now. And again, compared to what later on, like 19, by 1992, when they did the Alien 3 teaser, it ends with, um, you know, the excitement is back and the bitch is back. And you see the shot of the alien uh, getting up close in Ripley's face, that sort of iconic shot from the, the one iconic shot from that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, that sort of it's that jokey sort of hit you in the ribs kind of quality. And, it, and, and, and there has to be that, that final kicker at the end if that if the aliens trailer was made today it would end with the title comes up and then the very last thing would be the power loader and ripley saying you bitch mm-hmm. and that would be right mm-hmm. there in the trailer you know that well that would be the, the red band trailer you know then they'd have I guess, yeah. yeah some extra violence thrown in because you know yeah the trailer situation has gotten pretty out of hand there's no doubt but you're right it. but you're right about the full trailer being a grenade up your ass because it's it's I'll say my note I wrote is well, this is one of the least misleading trailers <laughs> I've ever seen. It really tells you what you're going to get in that movie. You know, uh, there's it's uh, a montage of scenes that pretty much sum up the movie, you know, with the Marines being ba- the Vietnam and space thing, you know, and then stuff gets pretty sticky. Mm-hmm. And it ends with this time it's war. But there you go. We got a full on war movie now. The first one was our movie. Now we got you a full on full-on combat war movie if you like that sort of thing and i hope you do and that's I, I like that a lot i mean it's really cool it's interesting in that it's a sequel where it switches to a completely different genre and i wish more sequels would do that yeah they don't allow it anymore it's got to stay on brand it reminds me of one of my favorite sequels of all time this is an unpopular opinion back to the future three i just love back to the future three what do we got for you now a full-on western from start to finish. And I love that. I just think it's great. It's definitely better than Back to the Future 2. Thank you very much. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, I, I could go on and on and have gone on, on podcasts, gone on and on about how much I hate Back to the Future 2. But uh, I'm with you. I actually, I, I do enjoy that movie. And you're right. It's, man, that might be the last time someone was allowed to do a full genre shift in a sequel. I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but. Uh, by the way, the only thing, you know, the thing that drives me up a wall about Back to the Future 2 is uh, hoverboards. Everybody just goes on and on about freaking hoverboards and the, all the 2015 stuff and the shark still looks fake and all that stuff. I once watched the movie and I sat there timing it and you get about 20 minutes of 2015 in Back to the Future 2. It's yeah. a tiny, tiny section of the movie, actually. The large part of the movie takes place in 1955. Yeah. And alternate 1985, you know, but all that 2015 stuff, it's really not that important. No, there's not a whole lot in that movie that's very important, to be honest. Well, I would like, I would like people to just give it a damn rest. Well, what else did we want to say about these trailers? I, I would only add that, just to echo what you were saying, Joe, is that Aliens, the trailer, tells you what you're going to get assures you that it's going to deliver the goods and it delivers the goods. Yeah. It doesn't have to hide from anything because it's such a damn well put together movie. And especially in visual terms, you know, they're just one wonderful shot after another and one piece of kinetic excitement topping the next one. And so it's really uh, an honest trailer and there are not a lot of honest trailers anymore. Yeah, are, think- you looking for- are you looking forward to digging your teeth into the movie? Are we? Yes. Oh, yeah, I am, for sure. I think that there's been some, you know, after the experience of doing a minute-by-minute show, it, it, not that it's tedious, there's just a lot of work involved, and you really have to dig your teeth into it. I think there were a couple times where we wondered whether Aliens was going to be as worth it as Alien, whether it was it's longer, for one thing. Um, was it going to sometimes, I don't know, some sections of it be a little bit more tedious than in alien, but I, I'm actually really excited about the fact that we're going to be, we're going to be shifting tone. 
Like this is going to be our sequel shift where, uh, well, we'll, we'll still be doing approaching the movie in the same manner. It's going to naturally change tone because of the tone of the film. So I think there, I think we're more likely to maybe have a few more laughs, um, a little bit more fun while still having the sober analysis that we had in alien. So I'm looking forward to it. Your podcast is going to be more like a grenade up your ass, is what you're saying. Yes. That's exactly yeah. right. That's what it'll be, Aliens Minute, where we stick the grenade up the ass of aliens well, one minute at a time. Where we stick a grenade up your ass one minute at a time. Yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> I like it a lot. That's, that's uh, well, so cruel. Uh, Joe, I want to ask you about this theory of these integrated worlds that I understand you're... Uh... Yeah, I just wanted to point out now... Joe, I've been listening to his show. He's been on our listeners page a few times. Um, I can't even remember where it was. It was on some Facebook listeners page where you brought up this uh, idea that you had this unified theory of Alien, Blade Runner, and and Legend, the early movies of... And Legend. Yes. Yes. And I I thought, oh, this would be great. Let's get Joe on the show. Let's hear about this theory. But I will tell tell the listener... We, Mitch and I know nothing about this theory. This We're laying this out just for Joe. So I'll just say this, Joe. We're taking an awful risk, Dater. This had better work. <laughs> then, and now the little slide comes up and says, the opinions expressed in this, in this show are the opinions only of Joe Dater. No, not really. Not, not the management of Alien Minute. I just had to throw the Tarkin line in. Sorry. Consider evacuating in your moment of triumph. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, uh, yeah, I do. This is my one fan theory that I have ever uh, put forth, and it's monumentally stupid. Uh, so uh, I should tell you, but I do. Uh, this is my way of connecting uh, not just Alien and uh, and uh, Blade Runner, which I'm a, I'm also a huge, huge Blade Runner fan. By the way, I'm a kind of obsessive Blade Runner fan, um, and Legend which came right after it. That was the three films Ridley Scott made consecutively. Uh, was it 1979, 82, and what was Legend? 84, mm, I want to say. 85, I, I think. Know. But I never saw I never saw it until uh, recently, until about uh, five or six years ago, when I, I was taken to see it in a theater. Uh, so, uh, and Legend, I think we can all agree, is a batshit crazy movie. It's just yes. an insane... Uh, completely you know i like it it's one of those things like like what i was saying like i want to see i want to see an immersive uh space jockey movie that just does not try to explain his world to me just shows me his world and lets me figure it out for myself it's a little bit like that in a yeah. way legend of it's immersive it takes you into this insane world and you're it's up to you to figure it out um you know it's not going out of its way to say to be to be welcoming in that world. And I, I kind of like that in a weird way. I mean, I kind of, I actually was surprised when I saw legend for the first time, how much I enjoyed it. Um, because it, I, I remember thinking, what the hell, why would I want to see that? Um, and I've also don't hate Tom Cruise. I, I, I should point out. Um, I, he, he is a, he is a divisive actor, but I've always enjoyed him. Um, okay, here, here we go. Now it's not hard to connect alien with blade runner, right? Right. Right. Um, we can assume that all that stuff that's going on in the off-world colonies is being run by Wayland Utani. And we can assume that all that, uh, you know, artificial people like Ash and Bishop are maybe perhaps made by Tyrell. It's easy to connect those things. Um, the uh, hard, the leap, obviously, is from connecting uh, those two with legend. Here's my, here's my theory. Um, in Blade Runner, uh, there are these scenes that take place at uh, J.F. Sebastian's house, which is actually the Bradbury building in Los Angeles. And that's a real place. You can go there. You can walk right inside. I have. And it looks exactly like it does in the movie. It's it's beautiful. Uh, it's a fantastic, wonderful place. And it's one of the few parts of Blade Runner that were filmed on location in the streets of Los Angeles. Um, there's like maybe... two or three shots that were actually filmed uh, on location and that's one of them so you see when when uh, harrison ford uh, when uh, another shot when daryl hannah enters that building uh you can see across the street there's a marquee for a theater and i always wondered what's playing at that theater my theory is that it's legend 
<laughs> that's <laughs> so, and that's it. That's the whole. That's thing. it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But wait, but it's it makes sense to me because I'm a moron, obviously. Uh, but uh, it's like if I always I like I'm fascinated by little things like that. Like when the great thing about Blade Runner is it takes you into this this extreme dehumanized future. And so I wonder what kind of what passes for entertainment for these people in in this world, you know, and what makes sense. What would pass for entertainment in this world is extreme spectacle. And Deckard has seen the movie because he keeps thinking of the unicorn mm-hmm. that's in Legend, right? Yeah, how was it? A big hit movie, right? Because yeah. there you go. Why else would Deckard be dreaming about a unicorn or unicorns be a thing? Or, or why would Goff make a, a an origami unicorn? Because that movie's a big hit. Everybody's doing unicorns. Uh, yeah, they're everywhere. So it, it makes sense because it's a, it's, it's a batshit crazy movie. I've described Legend as a... It's like the dark, gritty reboot of an old McDonald Land commercial. Like if you did, if you did a, you know, a badass for that. There's goblins and demons and hamburglers. Billy Barty you know, running around. Yeah, when once you got Billy Barty, you're in an extreme, crazy world. Um, you know, and also the sort of thing of like the future of Blade Runner that you see is it's a kind of an Asianized culture. So, and of course, you see what's what we have now is we have movies like Transformers that are doing huge in Asia, not, not as well here. And they present extreme spectacle, you know, and which, uh, so it seems to make more sense, uh, that those would be the kind of movies people would want to see there. So um, are, are you saying then that when Edward James almost leaves that, that unicorn for Deckard, that he's not saying, Hey, you're a replicant. I know, I know what you think. He's just saying, Hey, remember that time we saw legend? Wasn't yeah. that wasn't that great? That was our time. That was our yeah. moment. Okay, well, that makes that's that sucks the life out of another fan theory. <laughs> now, in in my in my theory, my in universe theory is uh, none of those crazy creatures in that movie are done with makeup. They're all replicants that are grown and created specifically for filming uh, movies like that. The the demons and the you know goblins and stuff. They're all made for the movie, just the way J.F. Sebastian makes his little friends. Yeah. And then they give them a lifespan of like six months. They film the movie and then they die. And that's it, you know, because, I mean, if you have, yeah, you, you have, like you have Daryl Hannah, she's a quote, quote unquote pleasure model. So why wouldn't they have entertainment models as well? They, as soon as you can make these things, you're making them for, for purposes of entertainment as well, as well as labor, right? Yeah, but I would think they'd want them to keep them around for sequels. Or Maybe you, they do. You end up Maybe. having that shitty Yoda puppet that they had to use for the prequels. True. It might not be the second generation of it might not be as good. So maybe they would keep him around. Who knows? But yeah. So now when you watch Legend, keep in mind that there's no uh, prosthetic makeup on any of those creatures. <laughs> those are all real. And uh, they're all replicants that are made specifically for the movie. Um, I mean, we're pretty much there now, right? We, we have digital characters. We're this close to having digital humans that are convincing in the movie. So there's... We're almost at that point, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, that's it. Also, oh, oh, here's the thing I looked into, though. That theater across the street from the Bradbury building that you can see in the movie, um, which is the Million Dollar Theater in Los Angeles, it's still there now, and it's still open. Um, and you can go there, visit Los Angeles. Um, if you freeze the frame in Blade Runner, what it says on the marquee is in Spanish, and it's, uh, I wrote it down, it's Los Mimi Locos Mazacote y Orquesta, which translates to the Sleep Crazy Salsa Orchestra. <laughs> that sounds fun. In, in my mind, it's Spanish for whatever the title of legend is. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe legend was playing the week before. Now it's showing uh, Los Mimi Locos. Yeah. But who knows? We, we don't know. Uh, that's fine. But... Um, Here's the weird, interesting trivia about that is that was the actual marquee that week that they filmed it in Los Angeles. Um, and that is an actual band that still exists, Los Mimi Locos uh, Orchestra. Um, and they were appearing at that theater. That theater uh, has been around for 100 years. And for a while, it was it was a huge center for um, for uh, Latin American uh, shows and uh, uh, artists uh, playing salsa music and things like that. And it still kind of is that to this day. Um, 
So and that was so the marquee, as you see it in Blade Runner, is unchanged from what it really was in 1982 uh, on that day. Wow. That's pretty yeah. interesting. So that is that that is my uh, monumentally uh, <laughs> uh, extremely stupid theory. Uh, but it does make uh, Alien, Blade Runner, and Legend now a trilogy. All right. We'll buy it. I'll buy it. <laughs> that was worth it, huh, guys? <laughs> sure. I think that wraps up our bonus episode of Alien Minute. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for inviting me and for having me on. Yeah, thanks I, for coming uh, on. I enjoy your show. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be a part of it. Yeah, thanks for coming. And why don't you tell people where they can find you out there on the Internet? Oh, I don't know. Um, well, I'm a cartoonist, and I, I frequently appear in the New Yorker magazine. So you can find me on your local newsstand in the New Yorker magazine on a reg fairly regular basis. Or you can just Google me, Joe Dater. Or if you go into Barnes & Noble, the uh, big uh, cartoons of, of the year, spectacular special issue is out, and you can see me in there. Or your 2017 New Yorker cartoon calendars. You can see me in, in all of those. Uh, or if you go into Barnes & Noble and look at the greeting card uh, rack, you might see a few of my uh, cartoons there. Uh, I, am a, I am a huge, huge uh, celebrity in Barnes & Noble. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also I'm the host of uh, my own uh, podcast, which is Songs You're Sick Of, which is the show where we discuss, dissect, and dismember classic rock. And uh, we, uh, my guests and I, we choose we choose a song and we um, analyze the lyrics and we put way, way too much serious thought into what is essentially high school poetry, basically. Yeah. So and that's uh, songs are sick of dot com or I don't know. Um, that's that's uh, that's where you can find me. But thank you. I, I do want to say one last thing, which is uh, that um, uh, Alien is one of my favorite movies of all time. And. I think it is it is an amazing, amazing film about one cat's utter failure to rid a spaceship of pests. It was rather tragic in that way, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, you can find us at AlienMinute.com or follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Uh, tell your friends if you uh, haven't. Tell them to listen to the show and subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star review over there and... Um, go to our Tee Public page and buy some t-shirts if you want. Uh, okay, well that's going to do it for our second bonus episode. We'll see you back for maybe another one before we start Aliens. Bye-bye. <laughs>